Welcome to the Future Charlotte podcast. I'm your host, Eli Portillo. I've spent more than a decade studying Charlotte, first as a journalist and now as assistant director of the UNC Charlotte Urban Institute. 20 years ago, this city looked radically different. No light rail, a smaller skyline, and breweries, what breweries? What will we look like in the next 20 years? That's what we're exploring on this show. Our guest today is Jatanya Adams, founder and program director of Historic West End Partners. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you taking the time. Oh, thank you for having me. I am glad to represent the Historic West End Partners today. Right. Well, first off, um, tell me a little bit about Historic West End Partners. Uh, Who do you represent? What do you do? And uh, how did you personally come to be involved in this work? I am the founder and the program director. So the way the Historic West End Partners started was with uh, me as a residential person concerned about how the Main Street or or major thoroughfare reflected uh, in a negative way the people who actually resided in the historic West End corridor. Um, There was a lot of blight and there were exceptionally wonderful, accomplished people in the corridor and that main thoroughfare did not speak to who they were or our history. So we began to address um, the Main Street uh, decline that had occurred over the decades to better reflect the history and the people. So how long have you lived in Charlotte and are you a Charlotte native? I am. I'm a native Charlottean born in 1963 in the Steel Creek area and I've always resided in the West Crescent of the city. So uptown, South End, Ballantyne, uh, lots of parts of Charlotte over the last few decades have seen, you know, just crazy booming growth. And I think there's a perception, at least, that it's been a little slower to come to the west side, but that's really uh, seemed like for the last few years been changing fast. So tell me what you're seeing now in the neighborhoods where you work and um, and is growth uh, really accelerating? The historic West End was a thriving uh, African-American Main Street or, if you would, Black Wall Street uh, before desegregation, before the highways, before um, disenfranchisement, shortly after the demise of Brooklyn. During the 80s and after flight, uh, with desegregation, it started to see a subtle decline in the 80s, a huge decline. And and then there was no investment for many, many years. So it either stagnated in one area or another or outright declined in the other. So what I've noticed about my home, this this is my home, this is where I've lived my entire life, is that the neighborhoods in the West Crescent, so from from Statesville Avenue all the way to Nations Ford, if you go counterclockwise around a crescent, prior to, I mean, following redlining, they did not see investment dollars unless it was something like curbs and gutters, that type of a thing that really does not, uh, isn't catalytic. Curbs and gutters gutters and bike lanes are not catalytic. And and those monies, when spent, were spent in the right of way. So that kind of explains 
how things became as they were. And then of course, with the properties uh, or, or the home um, stock, what occurred was with flight, you had um, disrepair from absentee landlords and the willingness to uh, not be responsible for your property physically or the tenants that were in it. So all of that led to further decline. And I think it's really important to note some of the uh, policies that you mentioned, you know, everything from redlining to decisions being made about where to build highways like um, I-85 and I-77, 277, what neighborhoods those went through and what neighborhoods they didn't, and uh, the demolition of the Brooklyn neighborhood in Second Ward, Charlotte, as part of what was called urban renewal. You know, I think a lot of people, especially people who are newer to Charlotte and don't have that sort of real uh, lifelong background that you have, think, well, things are just the way they are, and some parts of town look nice, and some parts of town look more run down, and that's just the way it is. But you really highlight some of the policies that were consciously enacted to elevate some parts of town and uh, and not do the same for others. That's correct. And I mean, if you think about during desegregation, as you had flight, the city limits were, of course, closer in once upon a time. But wherever they were at that time, when flight was taking place, flight was going outside the city limits or toward the suburbs, as did retail. Retail also went into the malls outside of the city limits, which then caused commercial decline and displacement inside the city limits. So there was a time when First Ward, Second Ward, Third Ward, and Fourth Ward had as as sketchy a reputation as West End once got. So if if parties leave a place and leave it in ruins, uh, and then come back and reclaim it after it financially bottoms out, which means basically you then buy back in at a deep discount decades later, then you see equity by virtue of wherever you move and those that are are on the other side of the X of the spectrum see losses in equity. So that begins to deal with the 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 generational wealth as well of a family if they bought into a neighborhood it was one too many whomever fled then your equity goes in reverse where equity is built the other way so that's where where um one's culture or culture ethnicity or or financial ilk comes to pl- into play about what becomes concentrated one thing or another in an area. That is how, how it played out in Charlotte. Yeah, I think in a lot of ways we, um, we create these policies that become self-fulfilling prophecies and then act surprised when, uh, when we see the results of them in, in things like um, you know, our residential segregation. And you said something else that I really wanted to um, highlight, which was that the, the physical state of um, you know, the main street in some of our West End neighborhoods didn't reflect the people who live there and, um, and you know, the, the good things about the community. And I think that that's really important because, you know, a lot of people who live in Charlotte or are familiar with the city might think like, oh, that's, you know, quote unquote, the bad neighborhood. I don't want to go there. But tell me, you know, beyond that stereotypical negative perception, 
Tell me about the good things that you really wanted to highlight in the neighborhoods when you started this group. Absolutely. So first and foremost is the people, it's the social capital, uh, professionals, um, uh, mostly uh, retired initially when I started to work a little bit more with the area in 2008. Lots of retired professionals, people who had been in management at Eastern Airline and with the school system and Duke Energy before it downsized and IBM before it downsized and B of A before it downsized. All these wonderful professionals that have been vice presidents and um, college professors and judges and attorneys. So all these people lived along the corridor and the corridor, the historic West End is 8.8 miles. And yeah, and for people who don't several, know, for people who don't know the geography, um, put a, put a definition on that for me. When you say the historic West End corridor, um, you know, what specifically are we talking about there? If we looked at a landmark, we would say, Bojangles right at West Trade Street at the I-77 exit, all the way to Hornet's Nest Park, just a stone throw short of Mount Holly Huntersville Road. All of that is the historic West End. And there are 108 small businesses. I'm not naming the franchises, just mom and pop small businesses, 108 of them along that thoroughfare not to mention again commercial franchises right not so much big enterprises or big box stores that's that's not the makeup and so it has a a commercial component and a residential component uh each which can be threatened by uh policies and other displacing elements and so what's your focus really with the programs that you're running? What are you doing and what are you excited about in the historic West End? So the the historic West End, our primary focus with the historic West End partners is we are a business district organization. Our area of focus is economic stimulation and, and cultural development, all while preserving the history of the corridor. And so, especially I think close to the center of Charlotte in the neighborhoods that are really uh, right around Uptown, we're seeing a lot of teardown activity, you know, houses where someone's either uh, sold it or maybe it was rented and the landlord has sold it that are being replaced with, you know, five, six, seven hundred thousand dollar houses in a lot of places. And I think um, some of that uh, neighborhood change, you know, you could say, well, these are, these are really nice houses. You could also say there's, um, there's a lot of fears of displacement happening right now. So how do you kind of, um, you know, balance improving an area, getting rid of that blight that you mentioned at the beginning with not displacing and just gentrifying people out? I, I would definitely say that as we look at the cosmetic makeup of the of the historic West End, the origin of whether physically one is appealing to the eye or not has really been more so based on capital and access to capital, whether it is residential or commercial. If you are a legacy small business owner or 
a homeowner who has retired and policies and governmental choices cause a rise or increase in property taxes or other rules that require remediation or repair or demolish orders for 30 to 60 days and your income has not kept up with the inflation of cost to repair uh, property taxes for instance residentially not only did we have an increase of property values because of what was built beside one house or another or how a house may have been transformed from uh, you know being scaled up and back or scaled another two thousand three uh, two thousand square square feet the thing to know about West End is one it's centrally located to downtown it has most of these properties have huge lots uh, and they are either brick or stick built homes, which means there's a quality build. And so these are very appealing to, to people from all around the country. And they do not view West End as being a bad place when you are uh, um, a transplant from another place. They find it laughable when people say Charlotte is, is bad. The best neighborhoods in some of the major cities beyond us uh, that's not crime to them. And the price is low for the money that they bring or the salaries that they bring. And so that causes a change in the housing stock. So we just had a 40%, not only did we have a property value increase commercially and residentially, but we also had property taxes to increase to accommodate new people who have come to the city uh, in droves uh, residentially a 40% increase on top of property value, and then commercially a 70% increase. None of the indigenous or legacy people in these communities who have worked hard, retired, and are near retirement received a 40 to 70% increase in sales or income. That's not their fault. That's imposed upon. And we are a welcoming progressive community, but we need to look at the numbers. If you have the capital, you can maintain a house. If you have the capital, you can, can scale the house. If you have the capital, you can pay the taxes without any consideration and still have quality of life. But if your income cannot keep up with the transplants, then you end up with a problem in a municipality cannot rule uh, in the state of North Carolina to accommodate that challenge that one faces. I think what you said kind of relates to something I heard the planning director, um, Taiwo Jaioba, say recently, which is Charlotte is a city where historically for a lot of residents, development hasn't been done with them, but to them. There's a lot of focus now in the city on equity, and um, you see it baked into the 2040 vision plan. It's one of the main goals, driving forces. Do you think that historic pattern of development being done to people instead of with them is starting to change in Charlotte? And, um, and what are you seeing in, in that area? The, the two is subject to ownership, okay? When something is done to you, in the respect that you only control what you own. So even if you own the home or the commercial property or you own the business, you do not determine what happens on the parcel that flanks you or on your block. Again, capital leads. If someone 
sales, passes away, what have you, and that parcel transitions, be it residential or commercial, the dynamic that occurs on that property is is based on that owner and back to city, how it's zoned, right? And zoning changes and allowances. So at this rate, if it if you have the money, it is zoned properly, uh, you obtain the property, which right now and for the past couple of years or so, uh, a bidding war just because you're so close in and this is happening all over the city where if something is listed it can be gone within a day or two and there's an actual bidding war and of course cash and 30-day 10-day close is ideal to a seller so all these dynamics are beyond a individual homeowner or business owner's uh, control or a neighborhood association's control. Uh, it is based on who owns the land and their relationship with staff and electeds as to what can or cannot happen there if it's not already zoned that way. If it's zoned that way, you can wake up tomorrow and have something different. It's not subject for discussion. And that's how it's done to you the pushback that you would get from uh, a, a transplant or a new developer is it was for sale. I bought it and you could have bought it too, which actually you can't because you don't have the capital. Um, and it's like all is fair and love and war, right? Cash or capital is king. Right. So what other policies um, would you like to see to help us develop and grow in um, in a more equitable manner than we've done historically? Relative to, to taxation, I truly believe that when it comes to taxation, we need to look at other manners, if, if and when possible, to fund things other than off the backs of the people in this manner, whether that's a use tax or something other than that. Although property taxes may be one of the primary mechanisms that the state of North Carolina has set up. I know it's an act of Congress, even to do something with a sales tax. We've got to become a little bit more creative, I think. And I think as a people and as a community, uh, when there is an opportunity as a collective uh, to help to manage the direction of a parcel. Like for instance, if you have something and you're willing to sell, you don't have to list it. There are other means of transitioning properties. Uh, and also for those who are in philanthropy and those that are desire to be corporate sponsors, rebuilding Main Street is very important. I believe in a mixed income. I think that's good for us all never a concentration of one thing or another is to the to the best benefit of any of us. So we have to have other ways to transition properties, to develop, and to determine uh, what can occur. And I think sometimes it's a little bit easy to just stick with the old playbook because it is a lift. It does re require the collective to collaborate. It does require thought. Uh, to strike uh, a harmonious balance where all boats can float. And 
it does take patience, uh, which this generation seems to lack. And when you talk about other ways of transferring property, are you referring to uh, things like community land trusts and ways beyond, you know, just individual owner puts it up for sale and whoever buys it, buys it? Land trust for sale by owner. I mean, if I am aware that a family, I'm going to play the commercial lane on this one because the residential can be a slippery slope. If commercially I know that I do not desire to have my business or my commercial property going to the next generation of my family or that doesn't even exist or the wherewithal to manage said asset uh, is, is not there. You don't have to list it on the commercial market. A lot of times people know other people and this is where business owners and uh, philanthropy and corporations and athletes can assist with having funds ready for opportunities such as that to transfer properties, businesses, and housing stock so that we can manage to keep some balance. Because again, it takes capital to remain in play in these scenarios. I think historically, people have always thought of displacement as something affecting individual residents. But, you know, in the last few years, business displacement has gotten more attention. Uh, Since that's one of the focuses of your organization, what can you tell me about business displacement? How are the businesses you work with coping with all these changes? They were struggling when the 70% increase on property occurred along with the fact that we had hedge funds and opportunity zone funds filter into the community. So there were already two land grabs occurring where things were being bought in in bulk and capital gains money was being shifted. Uh, And we, prior to that, already had speculative investors hanging about. So when you impose a 70% Uh, property tax on top of all of that, it truly stresses things. And it stresses things in this sense that a small business that is renting somehow from a, a owner of a, let's say a strip mall, that cost gets passed along, right? Which then means that the next one will pass it along. And then you get to the point where it's like, well, how much more do I wanna pay for grooming? If I am a salon owner, be it nail, barber, or a beauty salon, how much can you actually pass along when you are a a food and beverage establishment? How much of that cost can you pass along? So we got that trickle-down effect. So in one hand, you're helping small businesses, and in another way, you're annihilating them because the cost gets passed on, and you the cost went up because you say, hey, we need to do more infrastructure, and we need to build more schools because all these wonderful people moved here, and we can't accommodate them, right? And so it's that trickle-down effect that that's really harmful, and that's pre-COVID. I think that that double-edged sort of growth where – you might have more customers with um, you know, maybe more disposable income moving in, but if you can't keep up with the rising costs um, or you don't connect with the people who are moving in, then yeah, it's not really ben- the growth is not really benefiting you. 
Correct. And I, I have to speak well of our small businesses in this respect. In this season of COVID, we have a collaboration with the East Crescent. So Nodar Plaza Midwood and West End small businesses are working together. The thing that we found most interesting out of all the things that small businesses already have to deal with in this and adds COVID to it is the legacy businesses were accustomed to being very frugal, being very creative, bootstrapping it, and being able to somehow keep the doors open while treading water. That the new businesses in the other areas were not accustomed to that. So as their customer base and finance and, and, and finances began to wane, we've seen many of them leave and close their doors in the middle of the night. And I've only had one that's done that in West End. And that is because when they got stress tested, it was just another day in the neighborhood for them because they live that way most of the time. Never a whole lot of disposable cash. Yeah, so they were used to it and prepared to run lean. Correct. So let's step back a little bit and, and just talk about this sort of question that 20 years from now, 2040, what do you think the biggest changes are going to be on the west side of Charlotte and in the historic West End in 2040? What do you think we'll see that's really different? And uh, what do you think we'll see maybe that will maintain some continuity? <sighs> In 2040, if the things that the measures that I mentioned are not implemented, we will see gross, rapid, astonishing gentrification. And that's on economically. So it's whoever has the funds that will, will be the occupants. If the things that I have mentioned that would be helpful to create a more of a mixed income area both residentially and commercially occurs that's what we will have but without uh programs with lending institutions philanthropy corporations uh, and otherwise it, it is destined to be mass displacement for however long you can well you're talking 2040 i would say probably game over and you will see a shift as we did with desegregation where one area will rise whether that be the suburbs versus the inner city and there'll be a flip or there'll be some kind of a, a shift of poverty and wealth that you can identify physically with the eye. Mm, that really kind of hammers home how it's a cliche but those who don't study history are doomed to repeat it. Correct. I always lean Ecclesiastes. There's nothing new under the sun. Everything that has been will be again. If you were Queen of Charlotte for a day, you had a magic wand, you could change anything you wanted. What what changes would you make to the city, or what change would you make, and uh, and why? I would change the structure, if I could, of our governmental bodies, both staff and council so that we are taking information from the best and the brightest internally and also externally corporations and i would definitely have kind of that that think tank where great minds come together the people come together the, the 
thoughts are vetted and the best plan rises and it is implemented. I think we are so structured that we cause chaos. So structured that we're not structured, right? And and so I see a need for improvement in various areas. I think we need to all work a little bit more to be a bit more humane to understand um, the impact of money or, or, or capital and also resources and to start to deploy things wisely. Um, I, I would change uh I would neutralize all the hidden agendas so that people could come together to do the right thing for all, um, if I could. And I know some people will say, well, that's socialism, but I think it is possibly not being quite as selfish as maybe we tend to be or as impatient or as greedy as we tend to be, which I don't think are wonderful character traits. I like what you, the way you put that, bring hidden agendas to light. Well, I think in the end, a lot of the discussion comes down to how we assign value and, you know, what we say has value and what we say doesn't. Thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate the time. And where can people follow you and the work of Historic West End Partners if they want to learn more? The Historic West End Partners has a, a website. It is westendclt.com, westendclt.com. There you can also subscribe to get the newsletter. You can also, uh, at any time, Google our name and see the many works that are going on throughout the city. We try to be as transparent as possible. And always, you can um, feel free to write us at historicwestendpartners at gmail.com or call 980 980- Two zero Have a great rest of your day and let's talk again sometime. Thank you. I appreciate you, Eli. Let's do it again. Thanks for joining us on the Future Charlotte podcast produced by me, Eli Portillo at the UNC Charlotte Urban Institute. Keep looking to the future, Charlotte.